Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. We've got a lot to talk about today. Robbie, how are you feeling about today's podcast? I'm, I'm feeling good. The, the news has been mixed, I would say, the positive and the negative with the spring game and a lot of the other things that we're going to cover, some recent um, troubling news, uh, and then some stuff that we want to kind of debate on here back and forth. But I'm feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to always get a podcast under our belts. And while we don't have a ton of information about spring practice because of how closed off it was, we do have we did have there was a lot of articles written about the spring game and uh leading up there too that we're going to go over some guys that uh that maybe emerged or took a step forward and just how it went in general. But first, you need to give us a cheers. All right. Well, how about a cheers uh, to one? I think we're about halfway through Justin Fuente's first year. So hats off to him, what he's done with the program, how he's handled things. I think a bigger cheers goes out to Hokie Nation. Uh, 44,000 showed up for the spring game. Uh, I think that will put us in, I think, the top 12, if I have my numbers correct, and people showing up which is a huge number of people and uh, really excited for the program. Everybody's excited to get out and see the new offense. Um, but you still got to make the trip out there and you know, it doesn't last very long. It's kind of a it's kind of a short game to go watch. So cheers for people who get out there and support the uh, the players, the coaches and just Hokie Nation in general. So cheer hats off to everybody. Cheers to that. So before we get to our spring practice stuff, let's go over some just regular news items that have come across. We've got a handful, and I'll start with something maybe a little bit more fun than some of the other things, and that was the NFL draft that happened last weekend. And we had four guys that we thought might get drafted in this draft, uh, and the first one was obviously Kendall Fuller. And after night one, when he slipped out of the first round, which – we kind of had expected um, on the first night, but I kind of expected him to go in round two, and he didn't get selected until the third round, 84th overall by the Washington Redskins. And I think you just said to me off the air that there was 14 cornerbacks taken before him. Uh, I think he was the 14th. I think he was – maybe he was the 13th cornerback taken, but he was right in that, in that range. Uh, yeah, that's correct. That's pretty wild. I mean – from a guy who, when last year ended, was thought of as the second or third best DB in the draft to being, you know, two, a dozen in front of him, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, but he did land, you know, in a, in a comfortable spot considering he's got Kaishan Jarrett in that defensive backfield as well as D'Angelo Hall on the skins. As an Eagles fan, I don't like it very much, but... I think Kendall was an absolute steal in the third round, and I think you'd agree with that. Absolutely. I thought he was going to go second round. I, I said on Twitter and some other postings that I had, I think the injury may have been a little bit more serious than we knew about. I think him not practicing didn't help because uh, he couldn't, and he didn't feel healthy enough to do so. I think that is a huge steal for the Redskins and I think they said as much when they went after him at that position. His talent was just too much to to give up on. I would have seen him definitely as a first-round draft pick, uh, being the 13th. I, I would equate him, and I saw Eli Apple 
a lot because, as you know, my wife's a Ohio State fan, and I respect the guy, but I would absolutely say Fuller is on par, if not better, than Eli Apple. Uh, and he was the third, I think, off the board, if I recall correctly. So a huge deal for the Redskins. A disappointing, disappointing for Fuller, but I wish him the best, and he ended up in an awesome spot with two two former Hokies side-by-side side showing him the ropes. As well as... uh. Uh, what was it, Josh Norman as well? The the free agent from the recent free agent from the Panthers also ended up. This is a very talented defensive backfield. He got in Washington all of a sudden. Daddy Nicholas was taken a few rounds later in the sixth by the Chiefs. Uh, it was good for Daddy. We expected him to get drafted at some point just because he does have a lot of us upside with how athletic he is. He's still kind of a tweener in terms of what position he'll play. It's probably going to be linebacker in the pros. He's really not big enough to play D-end. And uh, we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, Luther Matty and Ryan Malik, two other guys we were hoping would get drafted, uh, ended up not getting drafted. Uh, Malik ended up with a, a deal from the New York Giants, uh, undrafted free agent, and Matty was invited to camp with the Saints. So those guys, you know, Malik worked out at Pro Day, and I'm pretty sure he worked out at the Combine as well. I'm not exactly sure. But I'm surprised Malik wasn't drafted. That was my thought exactly. I kind of understood with Luther Maddy. I didn't understand it with Malik. I really thought that he had a chance uh, to go, you know, in the sixth or seventh, probably around where where uh, Daddy Nicholas went. I was really so he's got the size. He has pretty good hands. Um, you know, he blocks pretty well. I, I thought that he would be a prototypical tight end. Obviously, a work in progress for him. They would have to do work with him, but seemed like he has the body type, the head on his shoulders, and the athleticism to to make it in the NFL. So I was surprised that he didn't get pulled in. I understood more on on Luther Maddie where there's some more question marks, but at least they're getting their their tryouts and hopefully they rock them when they uh, they get in there with those teams. I think the biggest news for the Hokies with regard to the NFL draft dealt with a non-Hokie, and that was Paxton Lynch. Him going 26th overall to the Denver Broncos, first round of the NFL draft. It's huge uh, for Fuente as he's was you know took him from a unheralded recruit and turned him into a first round draft pick at the most important position on the field. Uh, I think it'll be a big recruiting tool for us going forward, and there might not be a bigger story for the Hokies coming out of the draft. He gets to walk around. That, that's awesome. Between Paxton and uh, Andy Dalton, those are two huge success stories on his ability to coach up somebody and, and make them NFL ready. That's going to do so well for him on the recruiting trail. Yeah, Paxton Lynch is also going to be featured on the cover of SI on the May 9th issue, as well as uh, Goff and Wentz. There's going to be three different covers, but Paxton Lynch will be one of them. So I thought that was also pretty cool. Let's move on to the next news item, and that's the new uniforms. Uh, let's not spend too much time on this. They look pretty much like the old uniforms. There's a new font as well, which kind of looks like it's straight out of Star Trek. I've gone back and forth on the font. It's fine. You know, Ultimately, these things don't really matter when it comes to winning games. Um, I do think the white uniforms for both football and basketball look a little bit better than the maroons, uh, just based on a few of the different aspects, but essentially they're the same. Did you have any thoughts on the unis? Only, I didn't like them at first. I thought the the collar on the football uniforms was really, really thick and almost kind of 
you know, it had like corners on it instead of kind of the normal um, kind of rounded shape. But and then I got to thinking about it and realized I really shouldn't care that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it, it matches that Nike collar is the same one that like the NFL teams have, too. And it's that big like flywire collar. And it, I, it's just becoming the style now for, from Nike. But in any case, new uniforms. And I think. I heard that like these uniforms were essentially ordered before maybe they had done the full redesign. So we might expect different uniforms next year. That remains to be seen. That's just something I heard as a rumor. All right, let's move on to some bad news as much as I'd rather not. There are a couple suspensions right after the spring game. Uh, Hushan Gaines, our retro freshman defensive end, and Adonis Alexander, our true sophomore DB, we're both charged with weed possession mere hours after the spring game ended, uh, which was uh, Sunday morning, a.k.a. Saturday night. And um, Gaines was also charged with underage possession slash purchase of alcohol. And they're both suspended from the team indefinitely. But I will say they both apologize via Twitter for their indiscretions. Uh, it's a bummer because both these guys are so talented. You hope they don't get caught up in this kind of extracurricular activity because they're they're both were on pace and we'll go into this a little bit later to be huge contributors uh this next upcoming season. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what Fuente does given it's the first, you know, big transgression at least that we're all aware of that happened with the team on on a Football level, it's very upsetting. I, I don't want to see these guys getting in trouble for anything on a on a personal level, which it's a podcast, so you're going to get that. The things I care about less than you know possession of marijuana is probably underage possession of alcohol. So I just don't feel that strongly about it. I feel strongly that they shouldn't get caught doing it. Sit at home, you know, if you're going to smoke weed, do what you're you know you're going to do. I don't go walking around with it be smart about things. Uh, but overall, in terms of the actual transgression, I don't think it shows any lacks. Them doing it doesn't really matter as much to me as the lack of judgment and doing it in a place that you can get caught. And because Hushan Gaines also had the underage possession of alcohol charge as well. It wasn't just the marijuana charge. That one is just ridiculous to me. But whatever. The, those are personal points, less so team points. Don't get caught doing stupid stuff like this. Yeah, you're going to do it. Uh, maybe not the weed smoking, but people are going to drink underage in college. It's going to happen. Um, just be smart about it. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to talk about was the changes to the Hokie Club and the donation structure. And there's going to be a new program for giving that starts March 2017. It's the first time they changed it in over 20 years. Um, and essentially it's switching over to a per seat donation basis, which is something that we were one of the few schools, uh, in the top 30 that, uh, in terms of attendance for football that didn't have a per seat donation structure. And so they're changing that and people, there's been, people are kind of upset. I, I don't know. What, what do you have to say about this? Well, if there was a lot of energy around, uh, Alexander and Gaines issue, there was even more around this change, obviously, because it impacts the whole fan base. My, my thought is, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I guess where I would summarize 
we weren't meeting the amount of our scholarships at the end of the day. The prices needed to go up. It was either going to be now or later. Some people, whether they would rightly say the increase in price, they may have just been a, a, against that for those that the price is going to increase, which isn't for everybody, and we'll get to that in a minute. But that that had to happen. The, the way that Whip Babcock, who we all trust, I think, thus far, has made excellent decisions, he is not going to operate a program where he has to eat into the operating budget he, in order to cover scholarships. He thinks that that is not the way to go about it, and I support that 100%. Donations should be covering the scholarship. So the question, I think, and the more relevant one that people asked was, is this the right time? And I think that's to be determined. I do know that, you know, we, our program matches very closely to what Clemson, uh, Clemson's program is, and they probably didn't feel like they were in an ideal time to make that change. And our, you know, people talk about us being in down years. Well, our down years have not been that bad in comparison to other major programs' down years with, you know, seven, six, seven, eight win seasons. Um, so when when were you going to make the change? Uh, uh, you had to make it at some point. I trust with Babcock at this point, after the last three coaching hires, implicitly, and I think he's thought out, you know, what, what could happen with this. They're making the road trips to talk to everybody about it, give them the understanding of what they're doing, why they're doing it. I think they're going about it the right way. You know, you just hired a young, energetic head coach. Um, and if you're talking about Clemson, their cost structure changed, and I think it was 07, and that pretty much coincided to when Dabo got on board. And so why not now? You're going to have to raise the prices at some point, and the sooner you do it, the sooner you have more money. And I also saw this thing, Andy Bitter posted this thing about how a lot of people give more money than they need to for their seats. Um, not not the majority, but a lot of people do. And that based on the new cost structure, 35% of current donors could give less and maintain their seats. 15 to 20 would see no change. And about 45 to 50 would have to pay more. And that 45 to 50, I guess, is the people that are angry or, you know, the perceived people who are angry. Cause I'm, I'm not like, uh, you know, knocking on doors, asking for a survey of who's mad about this. But when, when people have to pay more money, generally they don't like it. And I get that, but rent goes up, costs go up, you know, the cost of tuition has skyrocketed and cost scholarships have skyrocketed over the last five years. So you got to pay the bills. I a hundred percent agree. So Use your discretion, right? If if the price has gone up too much, then you know make a you know decision based on what you're comfortable with. Me personally, I'm I'm I think I'm under the donation level, limit for the next level to get better seats, so I'm going to be increasing my donation. So it worked for wit for you know the small sample size of one. And I guess my bigger point here is that. If you feel like you you like the program and you want to give and you have the financial capacity to give, then then do so. If you don't want to give or you want to, you know, say how this has impacted you to where you can't get tickets, one, I feel bad for those that can't get tickets, but we're all supporters, right, of Hokie Nation. And if we can get more money to the program, we can be more successful. So I'm seeing a lot of tweets, messages of people almost wearing a badge of honor that they're about to, you know, cancel everything and that they're not going to donate. Like that's like 
that's like World of Warcraft sitting in your basement type trolling. Like, just be quiet about it or say, I'm going to have to cancel my tickets. I'm upset. But don't go out and, you know, post about how you don't donate and you never have donated and you feel comfortable with it. You know, at the end of the day, you know, incentivize everybody to give if they can give is, is kind of my opinion on things. Well said. And with that, we're done talking about suspensions, uniforms, and donations. Let's talk some football. But right before we do that, let me ask you what you're drinking. So I I actually am excited about this one because I changed. I, I was very hesitant to drink this beer. I had it the first time about, a I think it was a week ago. It's a, it's a relatively new release from Ballast Point. Uh, we all know it's been on here a couple times uh, out of San Diego, California. It's their watermelon Dorado. Now, let me preface this with, yes, it's an IPA. Um, it's got a good amount of alcohol associated with it, but it's a it's a watermelon beer. I mean, there's grapefruit there. You know, Ballast Point puts out a lot of them, but a lot of people are putting out almost melon beers. I was very hesitant on a watermelon beer, and I had it. And here's how I would characterize it. It You do not want to drink, like, three or four of these. You probably don't want to drink more than, like, one of these. But one of these beers, the watermelon, is so kind of in your face that drinking this on a hot summer day is going to be the most amazing thing. Unfortunately, our weather is all over the place here in D.C., probably much so up there in Philly as well. So I haven't got a, a, a very hot summer day or spring day yet, but I'm very, very excited to have one and drink one of these because it's so refreshing and it's still an IPA. It's delicious. Nice. Uh I'm also drinking a beer I'm pretty excited about. I've been waiting to drink it on the podcast. Um, it's called Saison de Buff, and it's a three-way um, – it's a three-way. It's a three-way uh, <laughs> brewing, uh, I guess, collaboration between Dogfish, Victory, and Stone Brewing Company. And the three founders of those three breweries got together in 2003 and kind of formed a – a craft brewing coalition, and the acronym is BU as Buff B U F F. And back in 2010, they started doing every spring they put out a beer collaboration, and this is the 2016 version. And it's a farmhouse style ale. It's brewed with parsley, sage, rosemary, and lemon, lemon thyme, and like that type of floral and like. Uh, grassy type note type stuff like that's exactly up my alley and it is super good um it's just under six percent alcohol but just the fact that it's got you know dogfish victory and stone behind it which are three of my favorite breweries and it's a very crisp refreshing like springtime beer i highly recommend it it's not cheap but it is really really good so you should go get it like and it's it's called the saison de buff and you didn't you didn't send me any, which I I don't know if I'd like it, but you you should have. And this is going to be, I can't imagine like a fifteen years ago, but you're wearing a Ninja Turtle shirt right now, talking, and you referenced a three way, which I think you know, fifteen twenty years ago would have been blew some people's hair back. But I guess that's just the yeah. Day I've, age, got, right? I've got one of the ironic uh, throwback nineties t shirts on, and uh, a VT hat, and I'm drinking some fancy craft beer. Let's talk some football. Uh, the spring game, which wasn't really a game, it was a matchup of offense versus defense, and the offense ended up winning. They won twenty to fifteen. There was a certain um, 
point structure for the defense where they could get points for three and out or a defensive stop or turnover, and the offense scored their points normally. If you had to pick a story from the game, I guess we'll go with Gerard Evans, mainly because he's our four-star Juco transfer, you know, potentially our starting QB for next year, and he had a, a solid day. It wasn't an amazing day, but he was 8 for 15, 104 yards, and a touchdown to Jalen Bradshaw, who made a nice play on the ball. It wasn't overly impressive, uh, but he was solid for only being at VT for a couple months and dealing with essentially second-string wide receivers because both Isaiah Ford and Cam, among many others, didn't play in this quote-unquote game. Although the offense won, the defense pretty much outplayed them. The D just couldn't get any negative plays or turnovers, which would have given them a big point boost. It just, you know, when you when I was reading about this game or talking to people about this game, it's everyone's like, no one stood out. No one stood out. But I think if you if you look at things a little closer, you can find some silver linings to things. I wanted to ask you did you hear of and is there anything that you saw just in what you read uh, that you felt was a highlight or something that you could take away from other than maybe the play of Gerard Evans? Well, we're not going to get off this podcast and I'll leave it to the end about talking about how I didn't see anything uh, except for hokey highlights. So, but we'll handle that later on. I think I, I feel like from what I heard and what I read and what I saw, we were moving the ball well, uh, but weren't converting points we had a, a couple stops down near the down near the end zone that I think see people saw a different point total at the end would have made them a little bit more exciting there were a few stops I think with Phillips and Ford out Bucky didn't play very much for me I know a lot of people were talking about Evans from what I heard what I read I mentioned it for to French and I think he kind of agreed um, right as the game ended was Jalen Bradshaw Kind of a huge breath of fresh air for me, really productive, and not just by his stat line. It just sounded like he was, you know, getting into space, um, making plays. I thought that was great. Seeing that Divine Diablo, I know he dropped, I think it was three balls, if I had of it correctly. He dropped some passes, but showed a little bit of the skill, not all of it, uh, that I think he has. I thought that was great. Not much from Devin Wilson, which isn't uh, too surprising given he, he just finished up basketball season uh, you know, just recently. But people have been talking about him coming along pretty well during spring practice. So kind of TBD on him. But at least if we can get you know Bradshaw and Diablo you know, as impact players, and that's not our whole you know, depth chart there, but if those two can step up in the ways that Phillips and Forbes did when they originally came in, that gives you five, and if you you know seeing a lot of the clips and hearing, there were there were five wideouts, including tight end, on a lot of the plays that we we were running. So at least that gives you a core group. We're going to have to get you know Newsom's going to have to be in there. There's going to have to be a lot of other things that happen. But I thought the wide receivers, at least not getting too gun shy in front of a big crowd in that atmosphere, and still with having a fall practice to come was a big positive. Yeah. You mentioned Diablo had a couple drops, but he and uh, CJ Carroll both still had four catches. 
And French mentioned that Diablo looked good uh, blocking as well, which is only going to get you on the field sooner. Uh, coaches love that kind of stuff. And, and young guys drop balls. Like That's just something that happens, especially playing in front of a big crowd like that. So I'm excited about Diablo. He's got great size. Uh, in, term of the, in terms of the run game, DJ Reed, surprisingly enough, led all running backs with 53 yards on nine attempts. Uh, Rodgers was right behind him with eight attempts, and then McKenzie threw in another six attempts. And they really spread the ball around running, so it was hard to get a gauge, especially when you got someone like DJ Reed, who essentially is, we haven't heard anything about in years, leads the way. I'm not sure what to take from that. Uh, Coleman Fox scored the only other TD, and he had 40 yards on the day on five carries. And all during spring practice, I felt like we were seeing a lot of Coleman Fox. I feel like he could factor in in the passing game as well as the running game. Um, there's a lot of bodies at running back, a lot of capable bodies. And so I'm not sure, but him scoring a TD can't hurt. So that was kind of cool. And then as for the other QBs, I think Motley was a little disappointing. He was four of 10 for 19 yards and then took on three quote unquote sacks. I mean, they're two in touch sacks, but uh, he didn't look good. And for a guy who was, at one point, it seemed neck and neck with Evans for the starting job. Uh, just play poorly. Uh, that's not good for Brendan Motley. Josh Jackson, on the other hand, the early enroll, early enrollee true freshman, he was impressive. While he only had 35 yards on five completions, he showed touch, a um, little bit of accuracy, and it sounded like he's already ahead of Lawson in terms of QB development. I mean. We've talked about Lawson a ton on this podcast, and people clamored for Lawson last year, but we have never heard anything positive about Lawson in practice. I mean, we and we haven't seen it either. I mean, like, I think the excitement for Lawson at this point, there's no reason for it. I mean, Josh Jackson, a true freshman who's probably – at least two years younger than Lawson because he is super old for a true freshman last year is already seems like he's ahead of him. So I don't know what Lawson will ultimately contribute to this program, but at least, um, at least Josh Jackson looked good for our QBs of the future. And hopefully our QB for now, Gerard Evans will build on this spring game. I had a couple of takeaways and I'll, I'll say mine first, and I'll and I'll let you say yours. My number one takeaway was don't take too much away from this, <laughs> because yeah. there was like twenty guys that didn't play, including some of our biggest playmakers. And this was, like I said in the, initially, this wasn't really a game. Everything was pretty basic. Uh, we didn't see much option. That's something that French mentioned is in his article. An option is a huge component of Fuente's offense. Um, in terms of the inverted veer, the read option, speed option, whatever it may be, we didn't really see any of that because, you know, the QBs aren't live. And for whatever reason, you know, maybe Fuente was trying to work on the other stuff. But that being said, I felt <clears throat> that the offense had good execution overall. And French put it away that they dictated to the defense rather than the other way around. So that was good to hear. Um, did you have anything as a takeaway? Just that they ran tempo, they wore the defense down, you know, that we saw. Everybody expected that. I was actually, my takeaway was actually, was was very different in that my takeaway was just, I, we said we were talking to Dan Wolken here on the last podcast, and I said, you know, I think we have a pretty sophisticated fan base. 
my takeaway was that there was no overreaction under everybody just treated the spring game appropriately, which is you're putting QBs in, they're not getting multiple, you know, uh, iterations of reps. They're coming in for, you know, some are having a four and out and then they're going to sit back on the bench and wait for three more people to play. There's no time to develop rhythm inside of, you know, single sets. So, you know, nobody drew any harsh, harsh conclusions from it. So, and that's exactly what we should do. The fact is, Fuente is keeping everything very close to the vest at this point, as he should. And, you know, we don't know very much at all from here, except I can walk away thinking we're starting to build a little bit of depth, very little right now at wide receiver. I like that we have some depth at running back and guys that showed that they can perform, even if it was against our second team defense. And, at the end of the day, Gerard Evans and Motley sound like they're one-two at at QB. That's that's the only thing I can draw from the offense in in this spring game. But you know, that's exciting to me as well. It, it gives me a lot of hope for what can happen during the summer if they practice right on their own, and during the fall if they practice the way that Fuente wants them to, and their respective coaches want them to. Yeah, and and. I guess, and this was kind of, it was said but unsaid, is that because it's a, a brand new scheme for the offense, because most of the veterans barely barely played, and some of the veterans didn't play at all because they were hurt. Uh, I think it was it, the offense performed as admirably as you could expect against the Bud Foster defense, which wasn't doing a new scheme, had a lot of guys back. So you know, I'm not, I'm not like I'm pleased. I, you know, like without watching the game and. It, it was just – it was like a glorified practice. And I, I'll say this last thing. And if you haven't read French's article on the write-up, you should. It was pretty good. To hear – although the stat line wasn't overly impressive for Evans, to hear what French had to say about how he showed good mechanics, especially in the run game. Um, he was really good at the finding the mesh point, as French put it, between – uh, the runners and himself and make his ability to pull off fakes and his patience with his reads. Those are all key components for a quarterback that they're the little things, but they're things that the quarterbacks that we've had recently haven't been good at. And so that I'll, you can build on that. And that's what I'm excited about with, in terms of Evans. And, and I think that's going to bring me to a point later on, but I wanted to, just, I guess, ask your opinion on on what you we, – we pay attention to a lot of stuff all, throughout all of the spring practice. And based on what you read or podcasts you listened to or highlights that you saw, was there someone on offense that you felt stood out from the crowd? That stood out from the crowd? Uh, I, I, I'm, I don't want to be repetitive here, but it's going to be Jalen Bradshaw. I mean, the fact is, listening to it – him getting open space, him catching passes, uh, that is a dire need on this offense is to build wide receiver depth. And he came out under a you know a sizable crowd and performed, and it honestly gave me a little bit of a little bit more confidence that I had going going into the season. I think the other was um, you know Reed DJ Reed, and I know he's probably. 
I mean, heck, who knows what he is? Because you couldn't, you could get, I, you walk away from the backfield of this game and you have no idea what's going on, right? I mean, how many, how many running backs do we have now? Five. So, and they all saw the field a lot and almost in equal numbers because they rotated them almost just as much as they did the the quarterbacks. But knowing that if the unfortunate snake bitten scenario comes up, that we have shy, that we have Coleman Fox. That we have, you know, we have people that can get in there and run the ball, and we're not going to be throwing away a whole season because we're reliant on just on just one running back. I had, I thought offense was tougher than defense, and we'll talk about defense in a minute. But I had like three, three or four guys written down with all question marks next to them. Whether I thought they were the standout, Bradshaw was one of them. Who you mentioned, C.J. Carroll, who had a very good spring it seemed leading up to the spring game, even though he didn't have a, a crazy good spring game, but he did have four catches. Uh, Osterla at offensive line, offensive tackle specifically, uh, he, people were praising him all spring practice long. And if for nothing else than needed depth, I thought, you know, that that's huge. Cause we'll get Nijman back. And when he comes back, he might be left tackle and McLaughlin will move over to right tackle and which would make Osterlaw the backup. But we need depth to tackle. That's an, a, a hugely important position to have depth. And so whether it's any of those guys, you know, I don't know, but I think they all were worth a mention. And I think Devin Wilson deserves a mention after not playing football in several years, coming to the team. And he made, according to his teammates and some of the highlights we saw, a lot of plays while he was quiet in the spring game, people said he was making plays all spring practice long. So I, I'll i give him a shout-out as maybe a standout too. I know I kind of I, I kind of wiggled my way out of that one because I named a few guys, but, but I think all those guys were worthy of standing out in spring, and hopefully Wilson will make this team. As for defense, who do you think stood out? I don't, I don't even want to go into it because <laughs> as positive as we were – Walking into the spring game, walking out of the spring game, that things might be filled in at the gaps that we have. Um, that then we had the news about Alexander and Gaines. So, I my trust right now is in Bud Foster to to make that war, work because from all accounts, you know, Hushan Gaines looked really really good during that spring game. So, my, my question is: Is that really going to ding us? I, I walk away, you know, Clark is always going to be, that kid is going to play in the NFL. He is, is really, really good. He plays, um, tackles well. He covers in the gaps very well. I think he, I think he is a solid player. I walked away from not having that much to say about the defense. We didn't blitz much. I don't think Bud really showed everything that he has in the secondary uh, we're still missing, you know, some key pieces there, but I didn't have anybody that really stood out to me. I know you had a couple on the defensive side of the ball because I don't think we really saw everything that should be on display. I guess I, I broke it down like this. You mentioned gains, and as for, like, a, a young standout, I think, you know, he absolutely is one because he didn't play last year and as, as a redshirt. And he had two sacks in the scrimmage, multiple hurries. Um, on that, 
the marijuana charge after all that's said and done is very disappointing because he did show so much promise. He was mentioned multiple times throughout all of spring practice, and we need depth at defensive end. I thought he would for sure be the the at least the newcomer standout, and and he is. But we'll see how this indefinite suspension plays out. Hopefully, it's just for the Liberty game. In terms of living up to the hype, it was Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, from everything that I read, he was all over the field in the spring game and was mentioned multiple times as developing really well throughout spring practice. And he's an Edmonds brother, so I love him. And I put my stamp on him when we did our spring practice preview, and he seemed to live up to the hype. And Woody Barron securing a starting spot in our deepest position on defense. Uh, he's a clear and away number one defensive tackle on a very talented defense. So I, uh, I said, you know, Woody Barron's my veteran standout. So again, I'll give you multiple, but all for different reasons. I think the most interesting part of this, uh, you know, whole thing is, and I'm, I'm trying to line up the years, but this could be the type of defensive tackle lineup that could have a backup drafted to the NFL. That, that is like, and I don't know how all the years line up in terms of when people are going to be going. And I imagine at this, at this rate, some could go early, but it's pretty incredible. The depth that we have, I, we're into, you could go what, five, six deep in defensive tackle. And not that you're not going to lose a beat, but you might be able to find a starter at another decent power five program in those guys it's it's pretty incredible we have at at that position right now so i think that's also pretty exciting especially if there's anything that happens unfortunate which i'm always worried about at this stage in the game so lastly regarding spring practice i wanted to i wanted to talk about things that what do we know now after spring practice but after thinking about it, we still don't know a whole lot. So we're going to term it, what do we think we know <laughs> after spring practice has ended? And my first one will be, I think I know that Evans will be our starting QB come next fall. I agree 100%. Uh, I think that he's absolutely going to be the starter. If he's developed this much on that short amount of time, he has experience. Granted, it's at JUCO level, but, you know, I think I think that's an absolute known is that he's going to be the starter and there's you know Fuente it will leave it open and as long as he can to keep the competition and praise to Motley if he comes up and steals the show but I I would agree with that. All right, the next thing I think I know is that CJ Carroll and Jalen Bradshaw are our third and fourth wide receivers and. There, it's a little bit different because I think CJ will be our starting slot wide receiver, and Bradshaw will be the backup on the outside to uh, Cam and Isaiah. I almost know that, except Diablo has been getting such high praise during spring practices, not during the spring game, that he has the opportunity. I think during the summer. To he could pull what Isaiah Ford did. We talked about this numerous times. Isaiah Ford spent an entire summer, you know, uh, in just taking reps over and over again. So, depending on what people do during the summer, people have praised him during practice. It didn't really show up as much. It still showed up well, but not as much in the spring game. Andy Blockswell, which you referenced earlier, a lot of people have said that Fuente cares a lot about blocking in terms of his 
wide receivers, fullbacks, that kind of stuff. That is a big priority for him. So I almost, I almost know that. And lastly, one thing I think I know is that I have no idea how the running back thing will shake out. And that's something you just referenced. But you said you said five running backs. It's really six. If you look at it's McMillan, McLeese, Rogers, Shy McKenzie, DJ Reed, uh, which I wouldn't have included him before the spring game, and Coleman Fox. So that's six guys. I'm sure that will be pared down. And I mean, McMillan is going to have to be our lead. I mean, after the year he had last year and the ease with which he runs the ball, I can't imagine he won't be our leading rusher again this year. But from the sounds of it, Rogers is going to get a lot of carries. McLeese is going to get a lot of carries and maybe catches. And depending on the health of Shai McKenzie, he might factor in as well. It's it's nice to finally have <clears throat> this many bodies at running back because it's been quite a while. Especially, especially last year, you saw how the depth got diminished so quickly. And what's crazy is a lot of the talk has been about McLeese. And there has been plenty about Sam Rogers, but we've been talking about him for a long time. But a lot of it has been McLeese more than McMillan, which I thought, at least during all the spring practices, things like that, that's where everybody was focused. He's kind of a, you know, a, a little more shifty guy, uh, less of a power back, change of pace. So there was a lot of commentary about him. So that's that's what really kind of threw me off the scent of you know you know the rabbit we were chasing was all of a sudden he came into play and I understand Rogers, but that versus McMillan suddenly I think we are stepping into and this is not not a you know where we're going back in time to where we were just rotating running backs I think we're leading into what fits Fuente's style pretty well and what he wants to do, which is change of pace backs. But that's built into the structure of, of what he wants to do. And he's said that he, he, you know, he'd like to have one running back thing and just do everything, but he is more than happy to have multiple running backs to do change of pace. So was there anything else that you came out of spring practice thinking that, you know, no, I think I think I walked away from spring practice knowing more more confused about running back position. I guess more certain on quarterback position. I will say that. So that's what I think I know. I already reiterated your point. I think that our wide receivers are we have a serious lack of depth there right now, even more serious than I thought going in there. And uh, that that that's pretty much it. I, I'm never going to wage a guess on the defensive side of the ball, nor would I right now, especially with you know potential for a couple suspensions. So I I feel good about it. Do I feel great? N- not not particularly. I just know Bud's going to do his thing and and find a way to hopefully get us a top 35 defense. Okay, well let's take a beer break and then we're going to come back with a little bit of Hokies trivia. I think. So, Robbie, what are you drinking? I did a throwback, I think, to my wedding. I believe this was the beer that I had. So, I'm a. Obviously, we like good beer on this podcast. Otherwise, you know, we would just be talking Hokies football the whole time. So, they did the standard Sam Adams, Corona, Budweiser, 
you know, the normal Heineken uh, for our wedding as the option. So I told them that they had to bring in at least one, if not two, good beers. And they brought in whatever they had or could get from their distributor, which was the Hop Devil IPA from Victory Brewing Company. Uh, Victory Brewing Company, I think we've covered on here a few times, Downington, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Downingtown, PA. Yeah. So it's not my favorite beer in the entire world, but on my wedding day, it was enough not to have to drink Budweiser all night. Not that there's anything against Budweiser, but my style is a little bit different than everybody else's. So I went with that. It's a good beer. It's kind of on the lighter side, so if you're not into, you know, really hoppy beer, then it's probably perfect for you. And I like it. It's it's pretty good. I always enjoy Victory's beers, and the Hop Devil's definitely a solid choice. I went with the Flying Dog Numero Uno, which is something I hadn't seen before. I think it might have come out last year or the year before, but I had never had it. And so I picked up a six pack of it. It's uh, it's got a, like a Mexican theme to it. And when I was buying it, I was like, "What is this like?" Because it says it's you know brewed with agave nectar and lime zest. And the guy's like, "It's like a classier Bud Light lime." And so <laughs> I was like, "All right, that sounds like something I could get into." And it is really good. Bud Light lime tends to be kind of sweet, even though I do enjoy one um, now and again. This is a little bit less sweet. Um, and it's just got a really nice finish to it. Uh, it's called the Numero Uno by Flying Dog. And I'll say that typically I don't love Flying Dog's beers. Uh, I'm not really sure why that is, but I've tried a bunch of them and I've never wow, seen Wow, you're like, just oh, coming, out, great coming out against them. I mean, do you, I, how do you feel about Flying Dog? Is that, do you, it's, I, their stuff's okay. Yeah. This one is really good. That's what I'm trying to say. I was a huge Raging Bitch fan for, and I drank myself out of it because it's the only, like, there's a couple of them. Now there's Optimization. There's a, some other good beers at like 7-Eleven. But Flying Dog in our area was one of the first to make its way to 7-Eleven. So while I love going over to you know some of the craft beer places around here and picking up beer, if you're just heading home from work on you know a Thursday or a Friday and you want to pick up beer, you know, 7-Eleven is so convenient. I could go in. But now that I've had it so much, I can't even really drink you know the Raging Bitch anymore. And that's the beer name. We're not cursing on our uh, no. On our yeah, podcast. I know. I, I will say, yeah, that that's that's solid. But again, you're right. I've had it a lot. I don't know. In any case, the Numero Uno by Flying Dog. It's a great summertime beer. I recommend you go out and get some. It's a classy Bud Light Lime. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand you have a couple of trivia questions for me. Yeah. So we'll probably get called out on stats because I looked all these up. And I think I got them all right. I went off of Virginia Tech's website, and it's not bad. Like, our records keeping is not bad, but it's hard to, like, filter and try to get to the data points that you're trying to because I had some ideas of things, of stats that I had in mind that I wanted to ask questions about. And it's not all stats, but mostly it is. So we'll just get – why don't we just get into it, all right? Are you ready for this? I I guess so. We'll find out. So I have – I have – uh, eight questions here that I'm going to ask you, and my over/under for you. 
is three. How's that? I'm going to say that you'll get. <laughs> That's good. This should be some. Half. This should be so a good portion of the podcast. And we'll put a. <laughs> we're going to put a small delay uh, in it, and then we'll we'll go from we'll go from there. But Pete's going to put a small delay in his answer, so anybody at home can wants to listen can. Question number one: The all-time leading. Total points scored by a Virginia Tech player is Shane Graham with 68 field goals for 371 points because he was a monster for Virginia Tech and led to a lot of positive things for Virginia Tech. Who is the second highest total points scorer of all time? And this is not going to be a quarterback. It's going to be a position player because the quarterbacks are in a different category, I'm guessing. It's not a quarterback. I'm going to say Lee Suggs. That is exactly right. Lee Suggs from 1999-2002 had 56 touchdowns for 336 points. So you are one for one, my friend. Nice, nice. I know that one year, I think I was still – I just arrived at school or maybe it was the year before, and he just – he had like 20-some touchdowns in one season. It was unbelievable. That That's an that's impressive start. We're right off getting getting to it. All right, question number two. Is the most net rushing yards, net rushing yards, in a single game for Virginia Tech over or under 475 yards? And I think you know what net rushing yards are, minus any sacks that would detract from that or tackles you know, for loss, et cetera. 470? 475 I'm going to say I'm going to say under. It's over. Virginia Tech put up 500 against Pitt in 1993. Question number 3. Who was Virginia Tech's leading rusher? This one's kind of I I wouldn't know this before my day and age. Who was Virginia Tech's leading rusher during the 1999 National Championship run? Oh, man, I should really know this. Although I wasn't a Tech fan at the time. Um, Chiron Stith? That's 100% right. Yes. Nice. Just over 1,100 yards is what he had. You are two out of three. All right. All right. Well, and I also give you some softballs because I didn't expect you to hit a couple of these already. So... Who was our last 1,000-yard-plus rusher in a single season? Trayvon McMillan. Or do you want to go before that? No, that's right. Okay. That, that was the softball. <laughs> now now you're okay. just – and you answered before our listeners had time to uh, think. Well, they know what it is. Come on. I now. know. Well, that was the softball because I have a couple here. Where would you rank Isaiah Ford on the career reception yards? One through four, five through eight, nine through 12, or 13 through 16. That's career yards, and he's an active player. Well, he's basically got 2,000 already. Uh, I'm going to say one through five. He is number seven. Ah. Oh, <laughs> With, he has 1,873 yards. 
ahead of him are some such names as Boykin, Cole, Wilford, Freeman, Scales, Andre yeah. Davis, the people you know. All right, so by my count, you are what three for five? So you're yes. you've already matched. So you've matched the the over under here, and you got three questions to beat it out. Name one coach. Actually, you know what? I'm going to make it hard on you since you already got it. Name two coaches on our all-time list of most interceptions during their career playing at Virginia Tech. Current or former coaches? Uh, I got to go Torian Gray. I I feel like that's got to be one of them. You have to answer the full question. And then the other one would be um, Cody Grimm. I don't know the answer to that because the other answer was Frank Beamer. Oh, God, yeah, that's um, – I wasn't. I don't know how I didn't think of Beamer because his numbers retired as a defensive back. But yeah, so I was an- thinking the answer to that. It's going to have to be TBD until I look up whether Cody Grimm was on there. I figured. I doubt it because he only started for one year. Even though it was yeah. a great year, he probably isn't up there. I don't know why I just didn't say Frank. But uh, you know, I was to be perfectly honest. I was thinking about you know recent players. So that's probably why. And they both had nine interceptions in their career. Actually, I do. I'm going to go back to a, a bonus question, even since now I think I don't know what I'm going to give you for points on that. I think I'm going to add a question, and none of this actually matters. Here's a here's the bonus question from the prior one. Within one, where would you put Isaiah Ford on the career receptions list? See, I think Isaiah has like a ton of receptions. And I'm uh, giving you and I'm giving you a one point charts. one point buffer on this. Where does he rank? Do I get the the one to five bracket system? It, no, no, you don't do get. I a just have to system. pick it. That's up why it's a there. bonus question. If you get it, you get two points. How's that? I'll say he ranks. Uh, Fourth in receptions. You are on fire. He ranks. There we go. He ranks third. Oh man! And obviously, it's Boykin and Cole that are ahead of him. So that yeah, is. I knew he had a large amount of receptions compared to the number of yards he has in terms of the historic numbers. Well, who else were we going to throw it to? So. <laughs> <laughs> and. Now we get to the last question. I don't know what your points are, but I think you're you're doing extremely well. Who holds the record for most games started by a QB at Virginia Tech? I want to say I want to say Logan Thomas, but let me just think about this for a second. Most games started. Uh, he started for three years. I feel like it'd be. Hammer Druck and Miller, but I'll go with Logan Thomas. And you got that one as right, right too. Nice. You're on nice. fire. I, by my count, with the bonus that you got two points on, I think you may have gone like, I don't know, seven of ten. 
out of all the questions, and my over-under was three out of eight or nine. It's pretty impressive. I will say I do love looking up the historical stats on Hokie Sports. They've got them all. Um, I don't do it all the time, but over the years, I've looked at them a ton. And so I might have a slight advantage uh, over most of the average fans because I'm just like psychotic about that kind of thing. But that was a lot of fun. I enjoy those kind of questions. Um, the only thing I can I, I'm gear- still mad about myself about that Frank Beamer one. I cannot believe I missed that. <laughs> hey, you still have a chance. I have to look up. But in one season, I don't think Grim put up nine, nine interceptions. Nine interceptions. Yeah. That would be uh, that would be pretty monumentous. Yeah. I know. In any case, that was a lot of fun. Maybe I'll think up some non-stat-related trivia questions for you next time. It'll be more like uh, in this game or situational-type trivia questions. But we'll see for our next podcast. Sounds good. In any case, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. I hope you enjoyed it. We did the best we could with spring practice because there wasn't a ton of access for media members, because the spring game wasn't televised, you know, we tried our best to keep our our ears to the streets and and our eyes to the uh, websites to just figure out what's going on with the team and put it all in one place for you. Remember to email us any questions you got. It's 2DVT at gmail.com. We're always ready to fight you on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. And make sure to check out our website. It's 2DVT.com. You can stream all of our episodes on there. And subscribe to us on iTunes. Write us for a review if you got extra time. We'd really appreciate it. And I think that covers all of our social media bases. I think so. And definitely write us a review. I know everybody's been so active that we have a whole two reviews. But I I do know because uh, I know more people are listening to that. It'd be helpful just to shoot us a review, bad or good. Let us know if we suck. Then we're always always glad to uh, change things, amend things, and do things better. And unlike the Hokie football team, no donation is required. Just just a review. Um, and until our next episode, go Hokies. <laughs>